Loving Father, as we open up your word, again we pray that you would show us the glory and wonder that is our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would respond with repentance and faith. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever failed to heed someone's warning? In 1980, Harry R. Truman had his 15 minutes of fame. He lived four miles from the summit of Mount St. Helens. And Mount St. Helens, you'll know, is a volcano that was about to blow. And people warned Harry... And he got so much attention, he became a celebrity. But his celebrity stemmed from his obstinate refusal to listen to anybody. The media flew helicopters into him. He held countless national interviews. And why wouldn't he listen? Well, he thought he knew better. He didn't think the blast would reach him. He thought the threat was exaggerated. Remember, four miles from the, from the summit of Mount St. Helens? Well, that summit no longer exists. A short time later, the 24 megaton blast of Mount St. Helens eruption wreaked significant destruction, including the life of Harry Truman. His pictures in your news sheet. Now, why didn't he listen to the warnings? Last week we heard a warning, didn't we? Zephaniah, the prophet, tells Judah that the day of the Lord is coming. And it's a serious, urgent warning. It's a day when God has his lantern out, verse 12 of chapter 1, where he searches people's lives and where he exposes the complacent and the ho-hum those with a who cares attitude towards God. It's a day in chapter 1 verses 2 to 3 where God gets his broom out and he sweeps away everything from the face of the earth, everything rebellious and opposed and indifferent to him. And after the light has exposed and the broom swept, whatever is left will not be relocated and put somewhere else. No, it will be burned and consumed. A day that did arrive for Judah as Jerusalem was raised and God's people were exiled. It's history. Yet the scope is also much bigger, we learned last week. That Judah is like a preview of a much bigger history-ending event to come. For it's a day, chapter 1, verse 18, on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live in the earth. It's quite frightening. But this is a day repeatedly promised in the New Testament. The day of the Lord is coming. That's the day Jesus was referring to in the Gospel reading just a moment ago. A day of the Lord where we must heed the warning and we must not be a proud fool like Harry R. Truman. 
This is a far bigger event than any volcano eruption. It's an appointed day, the day of the Lord. An appointed day in every person's calendar, whether we like it or not. We have no excuse. It's locked in by the creator of the universe. It's in everyone's diary. It's in my diary and it's in your diary. It's in the diary of the media boss who seeks to boost TV ratings by feeding the population a moral garbage, the godless smut we see on TV. On his life, God's light will shine, his broom will sweep, God's fire will burn at the appointed time. It's in the diary of those guilty of corruption, leaders who abuse power, those guilty of crimes against children, those in our community who seek to normalise pedophilia. On their life, God's light will shine, his broom will sweep, God's fire will burn at the appointed time. It's in the diary of the ISIS leader that seeks to execute Christians and burn their churches. On that day, God's light will shine, God's broom will sweep, God's fire will consume at the appointed time. So lock this date into your calendar, write it into your diary. This must be priority number one. See, what are the important dates in our future? Every week we remember birthdays and anniversaries. It's a nice family thing to do. For others, it might be the big date for the sale yards or the school exam or the hip replacement. I don't know. What are the important dates in your diary? Well, here is the day we need to be ready for. It is the day of the Lord, when his light will expose, his broom will sweep, and his fire will burn and consume. And the day is locked in. Every day, when we got up this morning and got out of bed, we were one day closer to the Lord's coming again. And if we are not ready for that day, then our life will be a failure. Zephaniah gives Judah five ways to prepare, five steps to establish themselves in the truth of the Lord's coming. And maybe they speak to us also as we await the Lord's coming. Listen to the commands. Chapter 1, verse 7, there's an invitation to be silent. To be silent and to reflect on the reality of this day of judgment seems to be a right response. Nothing like silence gets you thinking. How's it all going to go down for us and for the people we know and love? Step one, silence. Step two, there's an invitation there to wail, to wail or to cry. So chapter 1 verse 10, On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, Wailing from the new quarter and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district, all your merchants, and on it goes. Wailing and crying is, of course, the opposite to silence. And the fish gate is the first place to be attacked in Jerusalem normally. It's the north gate that the invading army typically hits. And last week we heard about Babylon coming in like a wrecking ball, killing everyone and everyone merciful, mercilessly in their path. 
And so the original listeners are invited to imagine this event and to wail at the prospect of the death of loved ones. Here they are invited to imagine this and to wail in terror as destruction comes. And for us, well, we must be asking, what is our reaction to the looming day of the Lord? The other thing we're required to do is to listen. Uh, Verse 14, we're to listen to the judgment, to listen to what it will be like. So verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry in the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities, against the corner towers. I will bring such distress on all people that they will grope around like those who are blind. Why? Because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. And on it goes. See, what do we think? How do we imagine judgment will be like as i read those dark verses can you hear the distress these are the sounds of judgment day that involve distress and anguish and trouble and ruin and zephaniah shows us what it means to live in this he wants us to be nauseated by the prospect of god's judgment he wants us to feel the emotion and to be rocked by its magnitude, but also to be responding and not apathetic. Zephaniah doesn't want us to be like Harry Truman, who just folds his arms and says, you know, nothing's going to happen, it's not going to reach me kind of attitude. Zephaniah wants the reality of this day to rock us and to shake us into repentance be silent wail and listen the next thing we're invited to do is chapter 2 finally chapter 2 we're invited to gather together gather together gather together gather yourselves together you shameful nation that literally means you pagan people this is Judah God's people being called a bunch of pagans such is their behavior Remember last week, we can't tell the difference anymore? She may as well be pagan. And so this idea of gathering gives us a sense of urgency. They are called to come together and to respond quickly, corporately, because the day of the Lord is imminent. Before the appointed time, before God's fierce anger, before the day of the Lord, And so is there anything more important than gathering with people that will help you get to this day? And so again, what do we do with that? Well, why do we, why should we place such a strong emphasis on being committed to our gatherings? Why on earth did you get out of bed this morning when it's minus seven degrees outside or whatever it is? Your toes are cold and you came to church. Well, we can only assume it's because you understand the importance 
and the value of gathering together as fellow believers here at church. But what you might not have seen is the importance to do that in the context in terms of the preparation of uh, the Lord's coming. And we do it because God does it. God places a priority on the gathering of his people. It's because this day is super important. And we need to be ready for this day. And so here is how we prepare. Be silent. Wail. Listen. And gather. But finally, here is the key to it all. Here is the key to how we get ready. Chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, and perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. It seems there's a slim hope of safety being held out to the remnant of Judah. Most of the people will mock Zephaniah. Uh, If we know our Bible history, uh, you can know that good King Josiah, he is on the scene. And the two Chronicles will talk about Josiah making uh, reforms. But even with the dramatic outward change in Judah's life, there is only a remnant that has been changed inwardly. There are only a few that are humble, verse 3 who do what the Lord commands, verse 3, there's only a few who seek righteousness and humility. And even then, perhaps, they will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Uh, It gets me thinking about Harry Truman again. His defiance on that mountain was celebrated with books and songs. I think there are about 20, 20 songs written about him. They even made a statue of Harry Truman that stands at the entry into the town, the nearby town where he lived. Uh, Why? Because he lived his life his way. And some clown said in an interview, because you can Google all this and you can look it up, it's very entertaining, some clown says, you know, he's buried 150 feet under with his 16 cats and his pink Cadillac and heaps of loot, you know, good for him. (laughs) Tell you, there's nothing good about it. You see the dumb lie that the world sells to us. Good for him? Are you serious? See, the world says that we are free to do what we want whenever we want, and if that's you, you are to be celebrated. And hang the consequences. And the world celebrates such people. Because, you know, apparently God isn't interested in anyone. Anyway, he's not going to do anything. But, you know, the God of the Bible says we are free to do whatever we like. We are free. We're also free to sin. But we need to know that when we sin, we are not free of the consequences of our sin. And we don't choose those consequences. God does. So where do I go to escape the Lord's wrath? Where do I go? 
Don't we run to the Lord? Don't we seek the Lord? Because only in the Lord do we find hope. Now here's a question. Is that what we do when we're under pressure? Do we run to the Lord and find refuge in him? Maybe we're inclined instead to seek another opinion and find a sympathetic ear. And of course, Judah does just that. They think shelter can be found in other nations. It seems they ask, well, what if I establish a coalition and join forces with them? I'm under siege. I better find some friends, some allies for reassurance. Is is that what we do? And Zephaniah here anticipates it. Because the rest of chapter 2, and God says, your friends will be of no help come judgment day. Because God is going to sweep through the nations. Every point of the compass will be uh, covered. Your friends will not help you. So verses 4 to 7 points west to the Philistines, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ekron, who are abandoned, ruined, emptied and uprooted. Verse 5 says, The word of the Lord is against them. I will destroy you and none will be left. Or verse 8 to 11 points across east to Moab, where the Ammonites will become a wasteland forever. Verse 12 points south to Cush. Uh, When you hear Cush, think Ethiopia, think Africa. They will be slain. Verses 13 to 15. The compass now points north against Assyria, leaving it utterly desolate and dry like a desert. Ain't that the truth? Wherever you look on the compass, there is destruction as God comes with his mighty outstretched arm. See, and we, we can hide. We can't hide in the universities to the east. We can't hide in the Aboriginal communities to the west. We can't hide in the rainforests up north. We can't hide in the south, in the big smoke of Sydney. Who'd want to anyway? But you can't, that's the point. There is only one place for us to hide. And I think you already know the answer to that question. Chapter 2, verse 3. Where to seek righteousness but of course we know as we seek righteousness it is a righteousness that exceeds my own it's a right standing that can only be given by our Lord Jesus Christ Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 Jesus says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled and this is not a self-righteousness. This is not a righteousness of my own that we say in the prayer in a moment. This is one received by faith. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Do you see the great exchange there? That his righteousness becomes our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 5 in our Bible reading today says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The guy who was right became wrong so that those who are wrong will become right. 
And that is all of God's grace. That's the marvellous exchange that Christ has given to us, that now his right standing before God now lives in us and through us and out of us as we walk our lives with Jesus. When we come to faith in Jesus, he gives us his righteousness such that we start looking and sounding and acting and talking like Jesus. His perfect record becomes our record. His right standing with God becomes our right standing with God and our sin becomes his sin. Which means that he takes our rubbish, he takes our disgrace, our shame, all those skeletons that are in your closet, they now belong to Jesus as our unrighteousness is put on his shoulders. See, without Jesus, and without having his righteousness, his right standing, there is nothing that stands between us and God's judgment. We're just like Harry on the mountain. But when we trust Jesus, our King and Saviour stands between us And God, he is our shelter from the firestorm of God's judgment. When we trust Jesus and when we live for him, we can escape the day of God's fierce judgment. And this is what Zephaniah longed for. Can you see Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 15? The Lord has taken away your punishment. This is what he longs for. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. He knows there is one whom we call the Lord, the one we today call the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness, the one who takes away our punishment so that we need not fear any harm, such as God's love. What can we say to God come judgment day? I did my best. I hope I'm good enough. No, come judgment day, it will be too late. Get this sorted before that day. If you want peace with God, You must come today. Today is the day to say to Jesus, Jesus, my sin is before me. I come to the cross where you died and bore God's wrath. I ask for your righteousness. I trust completely and utterly in what you did for me on the cross. Today is the day to do that. This is how you get the date into your diary. This is how you prepare for it. Be silent, wail, listen, gather, seek the Lord and his righteousness while there is still time. Let me pray. Father God, as as a rebellious people, we come to you, Father, 
And we know that our sin is before us. Thank you that we can come to the cross where your son died and bore your terrible wrath. Father, we thank you for the gift of your righteousness that comes from your son. Help us to trust completely and utterly in what you have done for us through your son on the cross. Grow in us a deep trust in your goodness and your love. Grow in us a greater dependence on your grace. May we live lives of deep faith and repentance. All for your glory, all for your praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.